and we are live today with Living a God Life podcast and just got back from doing some turkey scouting over at Turkey Camp and our season opens Wednesday. I'll be doing hunting in the bee season. I found that more a better time for them to be active and more grouped up and ready to kind of mingle. Um, usually warmer at that time as well. Keeps them up on their feet. But found a nice group of toms. Got a lot of permission. So it was a good week to be a turkey scouter. And today's podcast is brought to you by Chasing Fowl Outfitters. Come hunt with us. It's going to be another fun year. And I can't say enough, guys. Can't wait to meet some of y'all. And the books are open. So make sure you contact me and we'll get you locked up. But today's episode, we have Ryan Bassham on, uh, Montana local, and he has done some work with some biggie, pretty big companies in the industry, as well as we dig into some of the stuff that's going on, social media, like what to be posting, how a video can go viral, and for non-hunters out there to not know what's really going on in that video. And so we just kind of go over some stuff like that, and he really describes on, you know, how many followers certain people have and how big of an impact that can be in the hunting industry. So just kind of be careful of what you guys are posting on, you know, different shots, waterfowl hunting, deer hunting related, and just kind of all around that area. So just kind of be aware of yourself and all that kind of good stuff. So we'll dig into that quite a bit. And so I hope you guys enjoy this one and can take something away from it. So And we are live with Living the Guide Life. And today we have Ryan Bassham on. And he is a business owner, consultant, content creator, in the outdoor industry has done some work for Sitka, Drake and uh, other companies on you know getting people out and kind of booking hunts for other people and Ryan how are we doing today Hey man thanks for having me on doing great uh spending a little time uh, in Texas this week working for a couple different brands and uh getting ready for my turkey season that's going to get going here in a couple weeks so just uh Try to keep my head above water, keep all the irons in the fire hot. Oh, yeah. Now, where are you going to be chasing the turkeys at? Uh, mainly Montana. I call Bozeman, Montana home. and uh, I, I book for an outfitter out there and, and do a little bit of guiding out there. But more than anything, just uh, this turkey season, going to focus on hunting with my wife and kids. And nice. Working on a film project that should be pretty fun. Um, hopefully, we'll drop that in about a year. Yeah. And, uh, yeah, man, just... Enjoy it for what it is. That's awesome. Yeah. And for the people that don't know your story, kind of what's your background and how did you get started in hunting and get into this industry? Yeah, man. So, um, I mean, like a lot of folks, um, my dad started me hunting when I was a kid and uh, I became pretty obsessed with it. <laughs> and I, I lived overseas for a couple of years. I, I served a mission for my church down in Ecuador in South America. And nice. that kind of gave me the travel bug. I wanted to go and experience other cultures after I got back. And what better way than to do that while hunting? And and so while I was in college at Texas A&M, I um, started kind of mapping out what it would look like to go and hunt 
waterfowl and weird, unusual places. And that led me to meet a variety of uh, interesting folks over that time period. And, and so that's kind of when I started uh, working as a booking agent, helping connect people with uh, different hunts in, in different places. And and uh, a short while after that, my dad and I started our own booking agency. And uh, we've, gosh, I've hunted all over the world at this point, uh, six continents. And Jeez. I think I'm at like 19 countries at the moment. <laughs> 75 waterfowl species 42 big game species still trying to chip away at it oh my god that sounds incredible been, been a lot of fun. but you know along with that um on, on that that's been all the fun stuff yeah. uh, on the business side i've, I've uh, run marketing for creek waterfowl and uh, most recently sick of waterfowl and currently um kind of gone out on my own to share the strategic brand marketing um, strategies and tactics that I've learned over that course with other other brands and I've taken manure partnership ownership um, opportunities and uh, sit on the board for a few other brands in the hunting industry and uh, and still enjoy doing content creation and all those sorts of things as well so kind of getting to just kind of focus on doing all the things I love versus all the things that I have to do <laughs> <laughs> oh yeah absolutely yeah I'm just I've been scrolling through your Instagram and all the different kind of species that you've been able to hunt. What What's your favorite or like the coolest trip that you've been on? Cool. That's a that's a tough one, man. Jeez, um, for waterfowl, um, gosh, I I always tend to kind of gravitate back towards hunting king eiders um, on St. Paul. Uh, St. Paul Island is uh, those that don't know, it's a 400 square mile rock in the middle of the Bering Sea. Um, it's pretty desolate. You know, they've got a, a really small population of uh, Inuit Indians that live there, and and uh, it's it's a trip, man. I mean, it's it's not necessarily like a, a hard hunt by any means. It's just the conditions that you're in and, and the location that you're in that it makes it for a pretty surreal experience. And so um, it's not a volume hunt. You're not going to shoot a ton of birds. You're only allowed to shoot four King Eider and four Harleys as a as a uh, non-resident to the state of Alaska. But it's just kind of one of those adventures of a lifetime sort of a deals. And it's pretty, pretty darn neat. But um, outside of that, from a volume perspective, I mean, Argentina is cool. Um, but I've, I've, we've hunted birds in South Africa and Australia. Those were both amazing trips as well. Um, Australia is pretty – that one probably sticks with me the most just because, you know, when you're hunting flooded sugar gum trees and kangaroos are bouncing around you, it's, <laughs> that's a different kind of flooded timber hunt, man. Like, it's uh, it's pretty special. So it's, it's always hard to pick just one um, yeah. on the – on the waterfowl side, and then, you know, on big game, I mean, been fortunate to, you know, on Cape Buffalo and lions in Africa, when you've got those charging you and trying to keep your shit together and <laughs> not screw up, that's that's pretty intense and, and amazing. And I've hunted weird critters like mid-Asian ibex on the border of China and, and the wow. uh, tourist mountains of Kyrgyzstan. I mean, that was that was pretty intense as well. So there's there's some pretty amazing adventures out there. Yeah, no kidding. This is Ryan. I'm currently with.
boss. You there? Yeah. Sorry about that, man. No worries. Yeah, that seems like quite the trip for uh, yeah. that kind of stuff. Yeah, yeah, no, it's, uh, no, there's, there's a lot of pretty amazing things to do out there. Now, all that, all that said, like, I, I get to share those stories a lot. They're, they're pretty cool. I mean, um, there's some pretty crazy stuff that I've been through, but at the end of the day, man, like, I still love to crawl up in a deer stand and, and hunt whitetail and um, go back to our old family place where I first started duck hunting and hunt mallards and flooded timber. And we do a lot of Canada goose hunting here in Montana. And, um, you know, those are, those are still some of the highlights of my year every year, getting out and doing that with friends and family. So it's, it's pretty tough to beat what we have here in our backyard. Yeah, no kidding. Yeah. Um, have you seen that thing with Connecticut on how they're trying to uh, yeah. do that? What's your input on that? Oh, gosh, just uh, here's so I, I'm actually really excited you brought that up. Um, yeah. So here's the deal, man. Like, what's crazy is is conversations like these have been happening for years, and and I think unfortunately hunters as a whole haven't really em- embraced how real and scary this is until more recently. Mm-hmm. But it's um, I mean, when you look at the initial details within that, the initial vote was 28 to four in favor of passing this, and for the listeners that that uh, aren't aware of what's going on. I mean, this this bill that they're trying to pass in Connecticut essentially is saying that um, any, an- or not any animal, but these specific animals, it's elephant, rhino, lions, um, leopards, and giraffes. Even if you legally um, take those animals in Africa, you have the legal export and import documentation from not only that government where they were where they were killed, but also the U.S. government, the state of Connecticut is saying that if this bill passes, they will be able to um, fine you up to ten thousand dollars, and it will be a felony to have those animals as taxidermy in your possession, which the, is the equivalent. That's uh, a felony. That's the equivalent of manslaughter, and that is absolutely insane to me. Yeah. Um, the fact that that is even a conversation that is is happening um at any sort of political level is is scary and and a lot of guys may hear that and go oh well you know it's just africa i mean they're doing it for african species that won't that won't affect anything else and guys like (laughs) if they if they can do it on that that's just the tip of the iceberg um we don't want to give anybody an inch on our rights as hunters is kind of my stance uh we gotta i mean even if that's not your thing you're not into it that's fine um but collectively as a whole there's not that many of us so we kind of got to stand our ground in the most appropriate way possible yeah um but it's kind of scary that that's a real conversation happening yeah oh yeah i mean because like you're saying it's the tip of the iceberg because if they can do it for that you know they're going to start taking trying to take more and more as they as they go on absolutely um i mean we see it with with simple things too already here uh you know different States and their trapping regulations are, are kind of challenged um, every year. Uh, I think that, you know, black bears and the way we hunt them are, are challenged year to year. Uh, you know, I think as waterfowl hunters, we see uh, probably the least amount of pu- pushback and control. But, you know, again, over time, it, it could, that ripple effect could affect us. And that's, that's what we don't want. So um, it's all bad. Uh, for hunters in general yeah because i remember they were trying to pass in california that you couldn't hunt black bears 
as Correct. well. Yeah, and and mountain lions too. Yeah. Um, and you know, they shut it down in in Florida. Um, used to be able to hunt white bears in Florida. I mean, there's and I know there's some that I'm not even remembering right now. Yeah. Um, you know, we've tried to bring back grizzly bear grizzly bear hunting in uh, the greater Yellowstone area of Montana and Wyoming and even Idaho, and that got reversed. Um, and uh, I mean, yeah, I mean, it's it's something that hits closer to home than most people realize. And if they catch any sort of momentum into being successful with those things, uh, I, I don't think they're going to just stop short of, oh, okay, well, we got the bear thing figured out or the mountain lion figured out. We're happy. We'll stop there. I mean, read some of the comments from the point you can disagree with their points of view entirely but um when you read their comments like they won't be satisfied until hunting overall is stopped and yeah. when you look at you know things that happen in other countries we can't be so naive that we can't look at that and be like oh this is in the realm of possibility australia scares the heck out of me i mean and i love hunting there it's an amazing amazing continent and a cool place to go and visit and they've got some cool hunting opportunities but I mean, you've got anti-hunters that will dress in white and have big orange flags and walk through your decoys and just stand in your decoys. And legally, there's nothing you can do about it. But the hostility that a lot of people in Australia have towards um, waterfowl hunting even is, is pretty scary. And then most recently in Australia, you know, I've, I've been reading that uh, they're wanting to do away with, with uh, bow hunting, like any archery hunting at all. They're, it's oh, now wow. put into question as to whether or not they're going to have any archery hunting. Um, and it started with, you know, they've got a huge feral cat population that's pretty detrimental to the ecosystem there. Yeah. And and so hunters were like, well, in city limits, let us at least bow hunt some of these feral cats. And, and that has somehow spun into the liberals there saying, no, let's get rid of any and all archery hunting for anything. Jeez. And so it's, I mean, it's, it's kind of crazy. Um, and things, I would say, are definitely not to our favor. Yeah. And I mean, I was talking with Barton Ramsey for an episode and we dug yeah. into the UK trial dog runs. And he sure. was saying, like, if you don't like know, know them or like you haven't been a part of them for like a certain amount of seasons or whatever, like you're not allowed to do them because of how many people try to get in, take videos and try to you know, disrespect the way that they're doing it. And they're, it's field dog trial runs. Like, right. The yeah. PETA people are so determined to try to get everything shut down over there that, like, they go there, take a bunch of videos, and make it look like way worse or out of proportion that they're killing uh, pheasants or whatever it is. And yeah. it's just like a huge deal over there. And I, I mean, it's absolutely. I think it's a big deal everywhere. I mean, and, and what you said something really important there because I see a lot of stuff on social media that just makes me shake my head. And it's like what you said was that, and it's not just specific to what Barton was talking about. And Barton's a, a good friend of mine. I love Barton. Yeah. Um, but you know, <laughs> what's crazy is any any context that they can take and bend and manipulate to their own narrative mm -hmm. to to get to what they want. Is what they're going to do. And so when we put stuff out on social media as hunters that maybe even we think is funny or, you know, we don't understand, like, well, why is that bad? But, like, we're just giving them ammunition yeah. and throwing fuel on a fire that we don't want to get out of control. And it's it's where you got to 
figure out as as a as a as an individual as a hunter you know is it worth poking the bear is it worth being prideful or should i set my pride aside and try and, and do things in such a way that maybe doesn't ha- allow people to have such a sour taste in their mouth and and that may you know mean doing things a little bit differently as far as how you project hunting and what it is out there because you, you don't really know who's watching when you put it out there like anybody can be watching and know you're going to influence them and in, in, to some degree and you just want to make sure it's positive yeah and i was looking at sarah langball posted something on instagram mm-hmm. about that somebody shot a deer and then they took a video and <laughs> that buck was coming up on it all rutted yeah. up trying to trying to mate yeah. and then everyone's like Oh, they killed I commented their on that one too. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, and it's like I commented on it too, dude. Like that, I don't exactly talk about man. It's just that 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 post specifically just shows how ignorant people are to to the world of nature around them, just in general. And yeah, and again, for people that maybe didn't see that, like what what uh, you're talking about is it looked like, and I didn't have the full context. It looks like a hunter shot a doe. Yep. And by the time they got to the doe to, to go through the process of, of you know, prepping it and getting meat out and all that good stuff, a buck was in rut yeah. and came upon the doe and was wanting to breed that doe still, even though she was there dead on the ground with a hunter like 10 feet away from him. Mm-hmm. And the liberals took that and just turned it into, like, you aren't monogamous. Like, it was not a family. Like, yeah. just the way they spun that whole thing was scary. That, like it was overwhelming response of people that clearly have no idea what they're talking about um and you know they're preaching it loud much louder than we are yeah. as far as their point of view on it and man that swayed a lot of people i'm sure that's what's scary i mean to sierra's point when she posted that i don't remember the guy's name i think it's like tyler sykes or something i don't even know who this guy is yeah but it, and that doesn't matter the point is, is he has 1.5 million followers yep and and when he puts stuff out there like that, a lot of people see it. He he influences a lot of minds away from the things that we enjoy as hunters, um, even if, even when we're doing it in the right way. That's yeah. again, that's scary. Yeah. Oh, no question about it. Because yeah, that the page that posted it, they have nine hundred thirty-one thousand followers. Like, yeah. And you a look lot. at that, and how many people are seeing the wrong impression of things, not sure. understanding it. Like, okay, that butts that buck is in its mind, like I just wanna breed, like that's what I'm here to do. And right. it's so rutted up, not not even caring about okay, there's people right there, whatever. It's just so its mind is so set on breeding. And then people look at it and they're like, Oh, you're killing a family member. Imagine imagine somebody coming killing your family member. Like, no, that's right. not not how it is. Exactly. Deer exactly. Don't work like that. And that's yeah, no, it's it's crazy. That's a big thing because you see it everywhere. I mean, people post. I mean, there's some videos that are like, "All right, dude, really? Did you need to have a duck in your mouth or something?" And exactly. then people start <laughs> freaking out about that. And it's like, "All right, you guys need to kind of realize when you can take certain pictures or try not to get it as gory as you can." For the people right. that don't hunt, like exactly, there's got to be some sort of respectful balance to all of it, you know. Because yeah. I'm definitely not of the mindset. I mean, there's brands out there right now. Um, they won't. They're afraid to even post 
photos of that animal, which I don't disagree. I, I, I do disagree with. I think that's, yeah. Excuse my French. I think it's chicken shit. Like at yeah. the end of the day, like a lot of these brands that I worked for were, were building and designing products for one purpose. And that's to go out and be successful in the field. And, and, and there's, you can measure success in a lot of ways, but everybody that's a true hunter, like we're, we're trying to kill something. Let's yeah. not sugarcoat it. Yeah. I think when you celebrate that successfulness and, and you get a kill, there's a right way and a wrong way to do it. And and how you portray that and speak to it and celebrate it um, can either be a positive or a negative. And, and I agree with what you're saying 100%. This whole putting a duck bill in your mouth kind of crap is like, why, guys? Like, yeah. Maybe I'm just that old now. I don't know, but that's the goofiest shit I've ever seen. Like, <laughs> quit doing it. Knock it off. Yeah. Um, people don't. People don't get it. And at the end of the day, people are gonna go to vote. And if it comes to a vote as to whether or not we could end up in a in a similar situation to Australia is because of that crap. Like, just stop. Like, there's there's no point in it. Like, if it's for shock value on Instagram, you need to reevaluate your life and you know worry about some other things. This would be my recommendation. But, um. Yeah, man, it's just crazy that these are things that are even being discussed right now. Yeah. And the thing is, too, like, if somebody, if a hunter posts a video on Instagram or whatever, and they don't have a huge following, but they post it as, like, a reel or anything, like, that can blow up way, way bigger than you can imagine. Absolutely. I mean. Like, you don't have to have a huge following. You don't. Absolutely not. Um. In fact, I wonder sometimes if a lot of these people that are simply trolling, trying to find information like this, are, are looking for people that have a smaller following because yeah. um, it's it's an easier target, quite honestly. Um, I don't feel like you see as, as many people getting picked on. Because, I mean, I went through a time, like, when the whole Cecil the Lion thing happened, I was I had a decent following then, too. And, yeah. man, I was getting death threats. My kids were having death threats put on Jesus. them. It was ugly, man. It was It was crazy. Um, I ended up, long story short, got a, a lady fired because of some stuff she was saying against my kids. I screenshotted it, found her on LinkedIn, found who her boss was, and yeah. she was torched that yeah. week. And so, like, I feel like now a lot of what you see an- the anti-hunter movement doing when they do decide to pick on certain things, they're trying to pick on um, whoever is least of a threat to them. And a smaller following count, especially women, which is sad, but, yeah. like, younger kids like that's who you're going to go pick on and yeah. so when you're doing that kind of crap and you fit within that category you're just making yourself an easy target and setting up hunting to be projected in a negative way that doesn't represent the whole and that's not good yeah and that's the thing too like the younger kids that aren't maturing or whatever it is and they're only shooting a couple ducks they think it's super funny to go post a video of something i don't know but like, yeah, that's kind of what they're gonna try to target because they're like, oh, look at this kid. He thinks he can just go rip apart a duck and post it on Instagram or whatever it is, blow it up right on the water when it's already dead. <laughs> exactly. Like, exactly. And you just can't have that out there. And that's what we need to kind of keep pushing towards on educating people. You got to be careful on what you post. Don't be doing stupid things. Like celebrate your kill, like you're saying. Like. Sure, if absolutely. you if you shot your first duck or you're shooting ducks with your buddies, like that's a great thing. You should express that. Like you should show the people, get more youth hunters out there. But if you're just, you know, posting a video of shooting a duck that's already dead on the water, like two feet away from it, 
like yeah. all right all right guys let's kind of rethink that process because that exactly. that could be a big thing on not allowing like other people to really do that absolutely just, yeah. i mean and even when i'm in post-production working on some of the films that i work on like that's a lot of the advice i get i'm like listen i get it i understand that that's a normal thing but we kind of got to pick and choose here and let's we can show kill shots but like we don't need to show excessiveness yeah um and i think that you know with the world of social media at everyone's fingertips everybody should kind of go through that thought process and and put it through that same you know lens of consideration but you know as much as we have or you got me all fired up now <laughs> as much as we have um like these these potential issues with the way we're viewed as hunters from the outside looking in we've got a whole internal issue as well amongst hunters yeah. and i mean that's another conversation too i mean yeah like um and i think they kind of it segues into that just because you know as hunters right now we are we are in fact judging others for what they're doing and, and recommending that they don't do certain things yeah because we don't want to be viewed as, as a, in a negative light to people that may be on the fence about hunting and whether or not they should support it or not but there's that weird balance too of like okay well how how do we support each other internally as well um and not drag each other down because then it just turns into this nasty cycle of um you know toxicity which i do believe unfortunately exists within the hunting community uh, maybe even more so on the waterfowl side from what i've seen but yeah you know it's it's a, it's a tricky thing um and it's weird that we even have these conversations heck when i grew up <laughs> hunting like Everybody was just like stoked to go hunting yeah. and celebrate success, no matter who had the success. And now yeah. it's turned into this weird deal. Um, that's really unfortunate. I I feel like I feel like I sound old when I say this, but I I wish things were how they were 20 years ago when I first started hunting. It it would um it would be a different a different thing for sure. So. Yeah. Oh, absolutely. Yeah, and like you're saying, the waterfall industry. It's like you have people that are willing to help like in my experience i've had a lot of people willing to help do different things like you see some stuff on social media whatnot but then there's also that piece of it where it's like all right stay in your own lane like you pop out of that like and we're gonna have a problem yeah it's, and that's weird man i don't i just i just don't get it i i I, gen I generally enjoy helping other people and i was naive when i first started my career in the industry thinking that everybody felt that way and, yeah. and unfortunately i learned that it's not necessarily the case but um i, I, I think of that freaking will ferrell movie the basketball one where he turns around <laughs> on the bus everybody love everybody like <laughs> guys seriously like just, it's freaking hunting we're not putting people on the moon like nobody it's, it's duck hunting and goose hunting guys it's not super hard let's be real yeah. um that we can all go kill birds yeah. you know one's johnson's longer than the other guys like yeah. just freaking go out and enjoy it and be cool like i don't get it man um help each other along the way like don't belittle others when they're trying to learn like yeah just freaking relax and be cool and enjoy it and be helpful when you can like um it's a lot more fun when you do that honestly so i don't understand why people don't do it more it's like i said it's kind of weird yeah and i mean i've seen it too where it's like you'll have younger guys out hunting and they're only going to shoot a handful of birds because they don't know like all the tactics that go into it calling decoy sure. spreads all that yep. kind of stuff and then people just are like yeah couldn't imagine shooting only two ducks and then it's like really beats down on that kid and he's like well 
yeah. do I even want to keep hunting? Like, if yeah, exactly. everyone's no, beating up on me, like, why would I want to keep doing this? And so Michael Waddell and I've had that conversation for, for a while now, and, and I haven't talked to him as much recently, but a few years ago, he and I had this conversation, and it really, really upset him anyways. And I know he's gone on to, to be more outspoken on it. Um, and I've unfortunately had, you know, previous friends that I used to hunt with, you know, post videos about, oh, man, we set up, blah, blah, blah. We smoked them. These other idiots in over on the field next to us didn't get it done. And, like, belittling yeah. them. It's like, dude, like, <laughs> maybe well, why not invite them over? There's, like, yeah. two other guys that would invite them over. Like, maybe, maybe they could be friends. I don't know. Like, yeah. Take the opportunity to educate somebody and prop them up and help them feel success. But, like, it's not, like, getting into hunting, whether you're a Western big game hunter or waterfowl or you're hunting whitetail in the Midwest, whatever it is, like, it's it's not a cheap activity to no. invest into. And hunter numbers are on the decline. It's fact. Yeah. Um, whether you believe that or not because you're like, oh, well, I see more people on this public land than I've ever seen. I'm just like, who cares? I don't care. <laughs> fact. Hunter numbers are in decline. Okay. We're seeing bills passed that, that put a hindrance on hunting and create a negative ripple effect. Yeah. And and so the fact of the matter is, is we don't want to lose recruitment. Like we should be looking for opportunities to spend hunting in a positive way. And if somebody is new to hunting, man, like make it like the most incredible experience of their lives. Like be a person in their life that you could like help educate them along the way. And everyone started learning somewhere. We all sucked when we started. Mm-hmm. We didn't know anything. Yeah. We weren't good at calling. We didn't understand all the tactics. We all started in the same place of sucking. Yeah. And there's going to be a lot of people that hopefully enter hunting after we're gone that are going to suck when they first start too. But like, you know, help them along the way. Help them not suck. Don't yeah. be a dick. Yeah. Oh, exactly. all the dicks and shit. Sorry. <laughs> and I mean, up in Minnesota, like, I'll run into people in the field that have, like, same commission or whatever. And I mean, I'm always willing to, you know, team up, try to hunt together. There's no reason to fight. Like, right. you can always make new friends, like, grow your network, whatever it is in the hunting totally. industry. Like, it's always a good thing to do that. And absolutely. I kind of ran, we, it was like two years ago, we were hunting this, we were like setting up in this field or whatever, scouting it the night before for early season. And like another truck pulled up, they said they had permission. And it was like going to be like a total of like, we had a group of six, they had a group of six. And they're like, yeah, that's too many guys. Like, we don't want to hunt together. And I was like, come on, guys. Like, it'll be easy, super easy, high. Like, we got all the decoys. You don't need to worry about a thing. Like, just come and hunt with us. And like, no, right. we're just going to hunt the other side of the field. I'm like, oh, okay. Like, that's fine, I guess. Like, we know it's a big enough field that we right. were going to, like, be able to get after the birds. And I've been watching these birds for a while, so I knew where they were going to be and, like, how they were coming off the lake and everything. And so we set up in, like, the spot that I wanted to. Right. And they set up on, like, the northern end or whatever. And we shot our six-man limit super quick. And I they didn't kill, like, one bird, maybe one. And then they start yelling at me, like, what the hell's wrong with you? Shooting them. I'm like, guys, like, I literally told you to come with and hunt with us. Like, and you were right. just being super negative to us. Now you're bitching at us because we shot birds and you didn't when this would have never been a problem. Right, right. And no, 
it's unfortunate, man. Like some people just that, that's when you, I don't know. You, you can re-extend the olive branch, or you can just pack it up with a smile on your face and go get breakfast early. <laughs> yeah, exactly. And I'm like, yeah, I mean, the amount of guys that I've met, like, it, that have the same permission, and they're some of my good friends now, like, we hunt together, and it's just like, guys, we need to kind of team up and not be having fist fights and fields or whatever it is. Sure. I've heard horror stories about people getting mad and throwing hands and i'm like guys this is not, it's not what it's all it. about and well good grief we had that incident at real foot um gosh what three four months ago now where the the older guy got and killed those two guys those two younger guys um i think one of them used to work over at final flight like yeah like good grief now we're killing people over Jeez. disputes in the in the field trying to shoot some birds like and that's not worth it no like that's crazy yeah and ben ben potter i had him on um yeah. to talk about hunt 41 and all that kind of stuff mm-hmm. and one of his lines in hunt 41 when they were hunting out in california really resonated with me on him talking about hunting public land and like if you're gonna get to a spot like and somebody's already there all right go set up in a different area or if they invite you to hunt great go hunt with them whatnot but everyone's out there to have fun. Everyone's out there to yeah, make memories. Absolutely. Like nobody's gonna go out there and just wanna start an argument with another hunter. Like everyone has the same idea. I wanna take my buddies out, I wanna take my kids out, whatever it is, everyone's having fun. And then right. when you like blow past that people and people aren't like realizing that, hey, we're all out here to do the same thing and we need to like bring that together, not set up super close and get in fights on public land or whatever it is. And yeah, that just really resonated with me when he said that everyone's out here to have fun. Exactly. I mean, I agree with what Ben said 100%, man. Like, you know, at the end of the day, that's what it should all be about. Um, It it feels like it's turned into this weird, like, thing of competition. Like, it's it's good to have goals, even as as an individual hunter. Like, go do some cool stuff. I mean... Um, but dang, like it's, nothing's worth a fist fight or, yeah. I mean, especially when in this activity where weapons are involved, like, man, yeah, some people got rage issues. Like it's, it's just not worth poking the bear, um, at all. Yeah. Sometimes it's better just walk away and be done. Yeah. Oh, exactly. And yeah, I mean, even like, I mean, I went down and hunted with Cadillac Creek, um, in Texas mm-hmm. down yep. in like early February and Toby's like, yeah, the birds haven't really been here. Like, it's been tough hunting. It's so warm. There's, like, little water right now. It's been tough. And uh, I'm like, honestly, guys, like, I love shooting birds. That's what we, like, try to do. Um, But, like, I just want to go down there and meet you, make those memories, see what it's all about. Like, and then if we can shoot some birds, that's awesome. Like, yeah, that's, that's the way to do it. And he was like, yeah, like, we could set up a different time next year. Like, no worries. Like honestly, I just kind of want to come down, see you guys, hang out. Like, it's not always about killing a bunch of ducks and geese, even though we did beat them up pretty good. (laughs) (laughs) I mean, that's ultimately always the goal. Yeah, I mean, to your point, like you kind of have to go into every situation. Like, all right, like, yes, we're we're going to be successful. We're going out to be successful, but success isn't only measured in how many birds we put in the strap, or yeah, you know what this buck or elk's going to measure out like 
at the end of the day, like, there's a lot of other things to measure success in, in these pursuits. And, I mean, I can't agree more. Like, I think we all go through different phases as hunters. And anymore for me now that my kids are old enough to hunt, um, like, and I, I get to, like, relive it now. So I'm in this weird phase where it's like I've, I've been very fortunate to go and do a lot of really neat things. Um, but I've gotten just as amped up, if not more amped up, on getting to relive that through my kids um and getting choked up and emotional i've never gotten choked up and emotional over freaking a hunt of all things but to see my kids experience that and get excited about it uh, about something that i love so much man that's like everything so yeah it is about fun it's about passing these things on and it's not about trying to outdo the next freaking guy over like yeah get over yourself <laughs> <laughs> yeah not always a pissing contest like <laughs> exactly yeah reevaluate why you're doing this boys Mm -hmm. and that's the thing like you're saying getting your kids out in the right scenarios yeah. like bringing them on hunts that it's like nice and warm or something like that that like slowly gradually get them into it and not totally. bring them out when it's totally freezing cold or whatever and then they're like i don't really want to hunt anymore because i'm exactly. always going to be cold or whatnot and uh yep. that's kind of the big thing that i've noticed and even like taking buddies that like yeah 20 years old and I'm like, honestly, guys, like, I want to bring you out on an early season hunt because it's going to be yeah. warm. We're going to shoot geese. Like, you're going to, like, be able to experience that, and you're not going to be freezing cold. And then after that, once you get that addiction, which they have, then right. then we can start <laughs> rolling into that later season and killing them in the snow. Absolutely. Absolutely. Like, set it all up for success and get them hooked and then let them progress into the the miserable days when they got to pay their dues and and, ex and experience some true like crappy days in the field where it's miserable and you don't shoot anything because yep. everybody has those days i don't care who you are it freaking happens oh yeah um and that makes you appreciate the next banger even more than than you would have otherwise so oh exactly yeah i mean some of these guys that i've taken out with maybe spoiled them a little bit too much I mean, like one of my buddies, his first goose was a cackler. We never shoot cacklers in Minnesota. I'm like, dude, you don't know how special this really is. <laughs> and so it's like stuff like that. And they're like, oh, yeah. After I like looked up some stuff and like seen what other people kill, like, that's really cool. Like, I, that's like something else that not many people have done, but I've got the privilege to do or whatever. Right. Right. Yeah. Oh, that's good. And so, yeah, just different stuff like that on just getting people out, getting the youth out. And I always try to do like uh, try to find some youth to go take out on youth opener because, I mean, I my mentor who took me out hunting like literally every weekend before I could drive, got me into waterfall hunting, always take me out on youth day and like to try to pay that back onto like totally. different kids. Um is just like super cool to see yeah no i i agree 100 percent. i mean in the line of work that i used to have working in the industry i felt like i was obligated and like had to go and hunt with certain people and now that i no longer have that obligation quite frankly i i try way more diligently to, to hunt with people that are either new to waterfowl hunting or people that have kids and my entire season last year, I didn't post a whole lot um, on what I was doing, and that was for several reasons. But, like, yeah. a lot of it, man, it's like, dude, you have your hands full, too, when you have a bunch of newbies out there, like, making sure they're having a good time and that you're 
answering questions. It's not like when you've got a crew of guys, it's like everybody knows exactly what they've got to do in yeah. order to make the machine run smooth and like make the thing happen. Um, it's it's a got a downshift majorly, but it's way more rewarding, at least for me, um, when you see somebody else get excited about it. Yeah. Um, and want to participate in it and, and being able to pass that on versus just, I mean, we can all go put a bunch of birds in the dirt like that. Yeah. That can, that's not that big of a deal, but it's a different ball game when you can do that and introduce somebody to hunting that's, you know, maybe was on the fence about it or maybe wouldn't have ever considered it. Yeah. Gosh, I think we had like six or seven people over the course of last season that had never hunted before that went out with us and, and, um, that's awesome. Freaking fell in love with waterfowl hunting. Like, awesome. Let's do it again. Yeah. Yeah, just something about waterfowl hunting. Once you, once you shoot your first duck or goose, like it's addicting. You want to spend all your money on it. <laughs> At yep. least for me, <laughs> like, yep. it's, I'm always trying to buy a new A-frame or a new trailer or whatever totally. it is. More Never have enough gear. Yeah, like yeah. My mom was always, God, don't you have enough decoys already? Don't you have all? This? I'm like, mom, you don't understand. <laughs> Dude, it's what's what's interesting is uh thinking about this the other day like there was a point in my life where all i ever thought i would ever want to do was hunt whitetail because i grew up in northeast texas um mm. there's not even big deer there but you know we had dairy farms and mm-hmm. um a hay operation and so we had access to some decent deer hunting and unbeknownst to me we also had access to some amazing waterfowl hunting but I, I throughout my my life there's been certain things that i'm like man i'd never hunt that and it used to be waterfowl and then there was turkeys like nah i'd never hunt turkeys but it's freaking no way man I'm, I'm a waterfowl hunter yeah and then you know there was the allure of of africa and i was kind of always hot and cold about it it's like you know i don't want to go over there and do that dude i'm obsessed with all the things now um my recommendation <laughs> would be even if you think you may not like it if it's hunting related and you love hunting go try it if you yeah. get an opportunity to try it just go try it and and maybe you go and do that thing, and it's not as cool as you thought it was going to be. But, like, for me anyways, maybe I'm just that much of an addict. I don't know. Like, <laughs> I freaking love all of it is yeah. what I've learned. And I've learned different hunting tactics that I wouldn't have learned had I not gone and participated in hunting different critters and different places around the world. And it's just educated me more as a hunter. And and now I've got this, like, network of amazing people that I know, which is, is also pretty cool. Yeah. So being able to learn from other people and understand why their tactics are what they are because of the lack of resources that they have, um, no matter whether they're hunting, you know, wing shooting or hunting big game, uh, but lack of resources or things that were passed down from their, you know, fathers and grandfathers. It's interesting just to, to pick up on those things and, and try and implement it into what we do here in our own backyard and see if it works or doesn't. But Having that tool in the toolbox to pull out if you need it is is a nice to have. Yeah. And that's like partially kind of the reason on why I started doing this podcast was to hear all the different stories from all over and like yeah. see how people hunt like Matt Judy in Washington on mm-hmm. how they set up different spreads for widgeon or mallards or down sure. in Texas on how they hide under socks or Cadillacs. And like, <laughs> yep. like just going on and then being able to go on some of these trips with those guys and like kind of learn just different ways on, oh, maybe I can bring this tactic home and try it out. If it fails, so be it. If not, and it works, awesome. There's a new new tool under my belt that I can use. Right. Yeah. No, absolutely. Um, 
I mean, without question, that's it's it's always a continual game of learning. And I think as you know, the way these animals continue to evolve and adapt to the world around them because it's ever changing. Yeah, we kind of have to always learn and adapt as we go as well. So just yeah. part of the fun side of the game if you feel like you've got it figured out and do it perfect then you're about to learn real fast that you, you haven't and you got to keep learning <laughs> oh yeah there's no question about it. and i mean you look at like the guys up here in minnesota that hunt honkers from yeah that going from only hunting full bodies to now we're hunting silhouettes or right. now we're able to mix them or whatever it is and there's always that new thing and now the a-frame blew up the last couple of years now everyone's using yeah. that or like it's just gonna you just keep evolving on new tactics and like seeing what the birds like and as they get smarter and they start realizing that okay now the a-frame's not gonna be working as well and we need to go back to layouts or there's a new thing that comes out or whatever right exactly exactly and that's just really cool because i mean I, every hunt I go on, I learn something new. Like, uh, yep, yep, same. Like, there's always something that I try to take away that, okay, the birds were working this way because of that reason, or mm-hmm. last year we started throwing out a couple snow silhouettes on to kind of just be different because, right, like, you'll see a few snows in the roosts and nobody really does it. And when we started doing it, we noticed that when you put the whites out there it's more of like a confidence thing and they really mm-hmm. like to land kind of right next to them like yep. if we put a like a small little group of them they usually kind of land right right with them right yep absolutely i mean i think people say don't doubt the scout but then when they go to and, and put out their set like they don't they don't try and replicate it exactly the way they've been watching that feed the past few days it's like man like if your snow's mixed in there or specks or ducks or whatever, like it's make it look the same, like make it identical. Um, don't, don't be lazy. Don't second guess yourself on it or think, Oh, well that's my target species. So I'm just going to put out, you know, um, that specific decoy species. Cause that's all I'm really coming out. I mean, I've, I've seen guys make those mistakes and, and heard about those conversations. It's like, man, like replicate what you see, make sure the hide's good. And freaking it's, probably gonna go your way yeah unless you just really suck oh yeah and if you really suck try to learn something and then yeah. maybe you won't suck as bad as you, you know keep doing it yeah oh exactly and then i've even noticed like some people they don't really realize like if the birds are in a field in an area of the field like they're there for usually a good reason and you should try mm-hmm. to replicate on where they're setting up exactly every time you see them because like exactly let's say you have a really muddy spot in a field or something, but there's water there and they're going there because they can get a little water and feed mm-hmm. at the same time. But then you're yep. like, ah, it's going to be easier to go set up on the other side of the field because my truck can go there and I don't have to put in as much work and we can still probably yep. kill them. But then it doesn't work out because that's not where they want to be. That's not where they want to go. <laughs> yeah, and they're going to land 200 yards away. That's not where they want to go. <laughs> no, I, uh, a good buddy of mine, he, uh, is, he's hunted Western Big Game his whole life, but waterfowl hunting too. And we had those kinds of conversations a few times this past season. And, yeah. um, and uh, there was one day I was like, okay, let's do that. 
And I was as nice as I could be. I was like, we, it was a similar <laughs> scenario what you just described. That's what made me think of this. Yeah. But the birds were, were landing on one side of the field. And this is a huge field. And um, he was like, man, it's just easier to get in right there. I was like, yeah, but that's not where they want to be. And he's like, yeah, but the hide can be better there. And I was like, it'll be faster to get the hide up there, but we can, we can troubleshoot it and, and make it work. And he's like, I just feel like we should come over here. I was like, even though the birds are over there, he's like, yeah, like, like, okay, well, we got a couple of days. It's a big field. Like, right over here the first day. And we killed some birds, but everything was sucking back down to that office. And he's like, man, why are they going over there? I was like, man, it's because for whatever reason, there's more food over there. Maybe they fed this side of the field out. We haven't been here that long. I don't know. Yeah. Next day, I was like, let's figure out how to get over there. And we figured it out. And it was a bigger pain in the butt. And we had like five kids with us that were under the age of 10. And it was totally <laughs> stupid. And it started snowing. And we had like probably the most epic day we had that entire year, but that's where the birds wanted to be. Yeah. Like we figured it out and it's just taking that extra time. If, if you're going to put in any kind of effort, you might as well freaking go all the way, yeah. like go all in and like just do it right the first time and you'll have a blast. Yeah. And I took away when I realized like I should be kind of looking on where they're sitting in the field and kind of digging more into that research or really like, Top me that was when I watched Fred Zink's uh, YouTube video or whatever it was, and he was hunting lessers, and they were like right off the side of the road. He's like, you guys got to kind of pay attention on where they're feeding in certain fields, yep. and yep. how you're gonna set up. Like, it might not be the best spot, like for hide or something, but like if you can make it work, do it. Like, find a way to make it work because that's where they're gonna want to be. Yeah, absolutely. That's kind of where I was like, okay, I've never really thought about it like that because I've always been hunting. I just go set up in a random spot in the field, like right. That's right. just nobody really. Man, I think under, under, you, you can't over like stress like knowing. Okay, well, where's the roost? Where's that flight line? Yep. Um, are there potentially other um feeds building on maybe property you don't have access on? But like. Where is that in relation to where you're trying to hunt, where the birds trying to get into? What's, I mean, the wind, like you got to take all of those variables in, into account to, to really try and stack it to your favor. Um, and guess what? Some days, even though you do all your homework, you just take your butt in and see it. So there's that side of it too. Once you think you've got it figured out, man, you can get humbled real quick. <laughs> <laughs> oh, absolutely. Yeah. And I was talking to, uh, some of the guys at Northern Skies, and we were kind of discussing on, like, mm -hmm. you know, youth waterfowling is kind of, like, a touchy subject because, like, there's so many things that, like, so many things you have to buy, like, federal stamps. Uh, you got to mm -hmm. sign everything, do this, do this. You got to cert shoot certain birds. Like, you have to know all the limits. Like, as you're a hunter, like, you should know that, but there's always times, like, when you're younger, like, you could mess that up very easily and get a big sure. fine or whatever, whatnot. And it's not like whitetail hunting up where we're at, where you buy your rifle tag and you either shoot a doe or a buck. And right, right. now they proposed in Minnesota on, it's called the splash limit. So mm -hmm. it's like you can shoot your six ducks, but if you shoot three of them and you can count them as your splash limit um, on like, Let's say you didn't how, know how to recognize that duck and it's the wrong species and you're one over your limit, but you can count it as a splash limit. Mm -hmm. 
And it's kind of interesting because I thought about that, and I'm like, well, that's kind of dumb. Like, if you're a waterfall yeah. hunter, you should know, like, what you need to shoot. Yeah. But if at, you're going to step out in the woods and take the life of an animal, yeah. you should know what you're doing. Yeah, like, you I should mean, know you should, the limit. You should know what, yeah, yeah, absolutely. And then there's that other side where it's like, if you're a younger guy and you're starting to get into it, it might help you out a little bit on, like, if you don't recognize that duck, maybe it's a mallard hen, and you're like, oh, I thought it was something else because I couldn't really see it was dark or whatever. Um but it's like kind of two sided on that kind of feel right. where it's like, okay, you you should know what you're taking. Like it's you're Absolutely. harvesting this animal, like you should respect it. And it's like, okay, perfect. Let's put that aside. But then there's also that little piece where it's like, okay, well, it's kind of a tough deal to get into waterfowl and know all those rights and regulations right away because I mean you can slip up very easily on not signing your federal stamp or whatever right. it is so yeah I, it's an I interesting I, deal like I it don't know. is i think that um probably one of the cooler things i've seen was in australia um i, I and i like this so what they do is um when we landed we got our bags and the very first thing we did when we left the airport is we went to one of the equivalent of their fish and wildlife office. Yeah. It le- had to legitimately take a test, a, a waterfowl species identification test, before they would even issue us our hunting license. Oh, wow. And this this wasn't like just, hey, um, here's a picture of a duck. What kind of duck is this? It was, we had to watch a video, and it was, I can't remember how many questions there were. I think it was like 25, 30 questions. Wow. And, and there would be a video, and there would be birds flying around the marsh, and then you would look down at your questions, and that was video one. It says for video one, which species of waterfowl were in flight? Are they legal or illegal to shoot? Because in, in Australia, there's only eight species of waterfowl that you could legally hunt in the entire continent. Oh. And so not only do you have to know all of the legal species, but they wanted you to know all of what they call illegal species of hunting too. Yeah. And if you don't pass that test, you don't get your hunting license. Wow. And like, I mean, it's pretty intensive. And yeah. I was like, why are we doing this in the U.S.? Like, yeah. And it's not because it, it's not to try to make it more difficult to come in and, and hunt. It's it's to make you a more responsible hunter, to be more educated. Yeah. And we should all strive to do that. But, you know, I I guess you could you could argue the pros and cons of a lot of those scenarios, like the example there in Minnesota or versus what Australia does. Like, those are pretty different. Yeah. Um, <laughs> but I think that, you know. It, it should evolve, yeah. um, and I think a lot of regs just haven't over time in, in certain areas. And you know, like we all screwed up and misidentified a bird. Sure, it happens. Yeah. Um, you know, low light situations are a thing, and you screw up, you get anxious and excited, and mistakes happen. It is what it is. But yeah. you know, like after the fact, like guys that are picking up birds and posting it and saying, "What is this?" and then they get dogged <laughs> by people that would just want to be jerks, freaking internet trolls. Like, yep. you know. Yeah. There, first, don't be a dick. Be nice. Second, if we had programs like that in place that helped with the education process, um, it would be probably a lot better. But yeah. Anyways, and, that's a fun one to debate. Oh yeah, and uh, like my hunting mentor, he's like, man, you're gonna want to do everything by the playbook. How you should like know your duck. If you're gonna go out there and hunt, like know your species. He was very. Yep. 
very hard on that. And yep. he's like, go buy this like waterfall book on it shows you all different species so you know and read up about them learn like what they look like and now it's like okay i can literally go to any pond and be like oh perfect i can pick out what wing pattern that is and i know when it's fine like i he was so determined on telling me you need to figure out before you go take this animal go realize what it is and absolutely i think that was one of the biggest things ever because i'll run into guys that have been hunting forever and they're like oh i didn't even realize that that was a whatever that came into the spread i didn't realize until we shot it and i'm like guys like literally it's not very hard to go look up and like if you're gonna go do this like you should know your species if you're gonna take the life of this animal sure absolutely i I agree and even even for guys that only hunt a handful of days out of the year i mean at least take it that serious like it's still fun like go have a blast yeah but like nothing wrong with you know being educated about what what you're doing too so no exactly it's like you go to school and you don't study for a test you fail and it's like yep it's just how it is and it should be the same way on kind of how people realize these regulations maybe educate them more on uh like i don't know maybe different Maybe allow something where it's like a different class on like your hunting, like when you're getting your hunting license, like your hunter identification card or whatever. And maybe mm-hmm. they do like, okay, this is the waterfall yep. portion of it. And we're going to run you Very through true. these steps. And then yeah. this is the big game portion of it. And then it's like all that kind of stuff. And then you have your firearm safety. But right. then like it, it should more peel into that because. When I took it, it was like the firearm safety deal. So you just do all your firearm safety stuff, learn about guns, whatnot. But you don't really learn about like different species of hunting and like all the regulations that go into it. Yeah, no, that's very, very true. Um, My daughter's kind of going through the whole hunter education thing right now and trying to like go through and just kind of prepare herself. She has to, Montana's a little bit different, but. Anyway, she's going through that process, and I was going through the book and everything she's got to, you know, be aware of and study up, and there's nothing like that in there at all. Um, It talks about, like, you can read it. It talks about the different bag limits and species, and there's no photos. Like, how are these kids supposed to (laughs) know other than, I mean, you can make it a little easier on them. Um, But, yeah, at the same time, pretty dang handy with the cell phone and the Internet. Like, they can look it up, too. So there's really no excuse. but I think we could make it easier for people too. Yeah. Yeah. And that's like, that's what we were talking about. I mean, waterfall hunting, there is just so many different things, so many different licenses oh, yeah. that you have to buy and oh, yeah. different species. And it's like, okay, totally. there's a when lot. You start traveling around like, yeah. from state to state, flyway mm-hmm. to flyway, like things start changing. Yeah. Oh, exactly. Different licenses that each state have, mm-hmm. um, different regulations that they have. Like, there's just so many different opportunities to kind of mess up if you don't do your research before you go and hunt these places. Yep, absolutely. And, yeah, no, I just think they should kind of dig that in as a younger, as people are getting their hunter safety and teach more about that because that Mm -hmm. is a big thing to mess up if you're just going out with your buddies right when you turn 16 
and let's yep. say your parents don't hunt like my parents my parents don't hunt at all like say my dad loves to golf he's from florida that's what he does my mom she's not a hunter she kind of does her own thing but like i had to learn it all on my own and i was very fortunate to have a mentor that taught me a lot as well but it's yeah. like when i go out when i'm 16 and i could drive and i can go scout on my own and i can ask permission <laughs> on myself like yeah. there's so many things that i need to learn before i can take that step yeah absolutely and that's just what trial and error is not always the fun way to have to learn that either <laughs> yeah exactly exactly and yeah no i just i think they should kind of figure out a way to better advertise that and i think the australia thing there's 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 a piece of that where it's like yeah that's a great deal like that's the yeah. very good way for education on people absolutely no matter your age like if you're gonna go hunt over in australia like you need to be like prepared on knowing what you can shoot and what you can't shoot. Yep. And yeah, no, it's just, I think that's cool in its own sense. Absolutely. Maybe one of these days we'll see it implemented. Who knows? Yeah, exactly. Yeah. I mean, Minnesota, they have so many more regulations now that they're trying to open up on like early teal season layout boats, all that kind of cool stuff. It'll be neat to maybe see that. Um, open the season, like maybe push it back. They were talking about, or I don't know, but yeah, it'll be interesting to see kind of how that all plays out. Totally. No, and hopefully, I mean, at the end of the day, like it still needs to be something that's not too intimidating for somebody new to hunting to want to like get involved, like learn it, but like the learning tools that aren't available, hopefully they can make those more available. Yeah. Oh, exactly. And they need i feel like yeah like you're saying i mean there's just got to be a good spot where people can go get educated on all this kind of stuff at an early age and get that put in their head like those are what you need to do like that's how you need to you know if you're going to be ethical you're going to take the life of an animal and like be responsible about it yeah absolutely that's where that splash something kind of touches and goes for me it's like hey you should know like <laughs> like <laughs> I, I it wasn't hard for me to learn at 12 years old on how to identify ducks like no no i mean i've got an eight-year-old and 11 year old and <laughs> yeah they can identify birds already yeah. like it's as simple as like we're sitting on the couch flipping through magazines or through some of the different books that i have and i yeah. can point to different animals and they kids are kids are it's easier for younger kids to learn than it is for, for older people. So yeah, they're a sponge. Um, better for them to learn it early than try and learn it later. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, and I wanted to uh, dig into your time at Sitka. How was that? Working yeah, it was sense? good, man. It was. Uh, Seems like a pretty um, cool job. Yeah, it was. Uh, it was a good ride for sure. Um, I was able to work on some pretty amazing projects. The Sitka Waiter project was a ton of fun and um, had some amazing people that uh, were on the team that I got to collaborate with and work with. And, um, yeah, it was just a great experience overall. You know, um, It's cool when you're on a rocket ship, like no matter what you do in life, um, as far as business and your career, like hopefully everybody gets that opportunity at some point to, to say they were on a rocket ship. And what the rocket ship is, is any business that is just like freaking taking off as 
could like hold on for dear life because here it's going. Yeah. And I feel like I got there right as it was really ramping up and got to be there through some pretty uh, pretty cool projects and meet some amazing people and work with some some great folks and it was really good, man. Um, and never my wildest dreams do I do I think I'd be off doing what I'm doing now, but I'm I'm having even more fun doing what I'm doing now. So. Yeah. <laughs> be my own boss and call the shots and. Um, know uh, just enjoying the life uh, more fully so but i couldn't have i couldn't have done that had i not gone through the experiences i had at sitka and drake and and some of the other jobs that i've worked like you know you, you learn a, a lot of what to do what not to do um, who you are as a person and, and being real with yourself and understanding okay like this is what i'm good at this is not what i'm good at and um these are these are things that i find enjoyment in um these are things that i don't find enjoyment in and you just that's i think that's part of having a successful career is um being honest with yourself and, and what your skill sets are and continuing to, to kind of progress towards a place where you're truly doing what you love and i've been fortunate to work with some cool brands and do some really amazing things and i've uh I, I attribute my success today to having those experiences for sure yeah and that's a great thing too i mean my dad always talks about when you're working and you're always moving in new chapters of your life and you always want to keep moving up trying new things and having great like leaders in your life at the workplace like whoever your boss is instead of being like a manager and like keeping you there and like just wanting you to work that area and not kind of wanting to progress more or do your own thing. Um, and you want to have leaders in your life. And I was yep. talking to Nick Costas, um, mm -hmm. who was recently employed at Dive Bomb. Um, yep. And now he does his own deal where it's split read. And now he's yep. starting an outfitter up in Saskatchewan. And we kind of dug into that on. That's a really cool experience to go work at Dive Bomb, go do all those trips to those guys, and now you're able to use all that information and go be your own boss, go do your own Absolutely. thing. Absolutely. And Absolutely. that's just a big thing on so you can find really good leadership and have a good spot to work at and learn all those different things and use it in your own atmosphere and be your own boss. Like that's one of the coolest things. No, I, I – Three hundred percent. I mean, um, I unknowingly, I, I was just kind of following the passions of my life and what I enjoyed doing and trying to work for brands that I believed in. Yeah. And, and um, what I didn't realize along that journey, I was I was learning all these fantastic business skills and life skills that would just set me up to go out and, and do my own thing. And yeah, I mean, sometimes you got to go for it. Like, take take the risk. Um, do, do things that make you un uncomfortable. I mean, like, I had the opportunity to move across the country twice. That was uncomfortable for our family. Um, yeah. You know, we left the security of being close to friends and family where we grew up and and um, took, a, took a chance, took a risk. And now we live in what we consider to be our forever home and a place that we all love in the mountains and awesome. get to do some amazing things. And we've we've been blessed. And there was a lot of risk <laughs> taken along the way and some things happened out perfectly just how we hoped they would some things didn't mm -hmm. um it's all been for the better and uh i mean i don't know i get asked uh, one of the so you asked one of the questions i get asked the most and that's like of all the hunts you've been on which one's your favorite and that's 
hard every time. I, I, I can't just pick one. Um, I feel like the answer changes from time to time, too, depending on my mood. But yeah. um, the other one is, like, man, how do I get a job in the hunting industry? And it's like, oh, yeah, um, you, you, you don't, usually. Um, I mean, I hate to burst your bubble, but, like, it's incredibly hard. Yeah. Uh, it's it's a small industry um, with a lot of people wanting to, to do what they think is a dream job. And it's not always a dream job. It's still just – it's still work. It's, yeah. It comes with stress and anxiety. And what I learned about myself is when – I'm working um, in in more of an office type of space, um, and there's office politics everywhere, boys. Like, and girls, sorry. There's there's office politics, personal agendas, and there's high stress deadlines you've got to try and hit. And the hunting industry isn't immune to any of those things, and so you kind of got to like saddle up and and get your mind right for that, um, and and learn how to cope with it and deal with it. But like. You know, it's just one of those deals where you uh, follow your passion, do what makes you happy, and if you continue to do those things and, and you look for the opportunities along the way, you'll land where you need to be. Yeah. Um, and so that's the best advice I can give. Like, you're not – there's not, like, this, this secret path to becoming employed in the hunting industry. And then once you get there, realize you might hunt less. Um, <laughs> there's a lot of people that hunt in the hunting industry that don't get to hunt very much at yeah. all. I've been fortunate in all the positions I've held where it was quite frankly as part of my job is to be out there in the community doing what I was doing. And so, um, and it doesn't pay great for the most part. Yeah. <laughs> you really love it. So, yeah. Um, unless you go out and go on and do your own thing, then you, you know, maybe it's a little bit different story, but it's different for the path is different for everybody. Like do what you love. Um, don't sell out and just like go work for a, a brand just for the sake of working. Like, work for a brand you're passionate about or it has something to do where you're passionate about because the majority of your time you know it's it's not just an eight to five job yeah um the majority of your time even outside those hours is probably still going to be somewhat dedicated to to dealing with that so you better be pretty stoked on it and if you're not if it it can become pretty darn miserable so yeah for what it's worth my my life advice like do what makes you passionate go for it take the risks and uh, be open-minded to where it can take you because yeah. I never in a million years thought I would ever hunt outside the state of Texas, much less meet any of the people I've met, do any of the things I've done, and it's just surreal. So never know. Yeah. My dad always said the best. It's all about who you know, not what you know. That's and, it, uh, That's That speaks it. a lot of truth in the hunting industry that I, what I've seen, I mean, like you're saying, it's it's hard to get in there. Like it's well, and, and even once you get into it, it can be kind of disappointing because you start to see how people really are. And it's like, oh, I thought that guy was gonna be cool. He's not that cool. Dang it, he's kind of a jerk. That sucks. Uh, yeah. Not everybody's like that, but unfortunately, there's a lot of that too. So, <laughs> oh, exactly. Yeah, that's just this is how it is. Everywhere you go, work. There you go. Everywhere. There's That's going to be somebody. the case no matter where you go, hunting yeah. industry or not. Yeah, oh, exactly. Yeah, that's kind of – I want to dig into kind of what you do as a job right now on what you're kind of working on and all yeah. that stuff. So, you know, basically everything that I've done up to this point for other brands, I, I kind of just focus on the stuff I enjoy doing the most. And so um, I've always worked in sales and marketing. Um, what I do now, uh, I sit on three different boards, and so we have – 
quarterly meetings where we kind of discuss high level um, business direction overall. Yeah. Um, most of the boards I sit on, they they have me in there, um, kind of as the marketing lens and making sure from a, a very you know thirty thousand foot above point of view that um, we're we're not getting off track with what our uh, hired uh, sales and marketing employees are, are doing in regards to uh, moving the business forward. Yeah. And so I just kind of check in on a quarterly basis with those, but I also work as a more hands-on uh, strategic um, brand consultant. And so we look out at three and five year strategy of, okay, what are the business goals and, and uh, revenue uh, goals and objectives and how do we want to plan towards um, meeting those goals and objectives? And so I help uh, strategize what the uh, marketing implementation needs to look like and what tactics need to be put into place specific to those brand needs based on product or service, whatever it is, and um, kind of set them up with the tools necessary to go out and be successful and then check back in as a sounding board as, as those teams try to uh, move those projects forward that they're working on and just kind of be there as somebody that they can bounce ideas off of and help give some direction when and where needed. So, yeah. um, and I had a lot of fun doing that. It's uh, really rewarding. I, I'm not stuck in the day-to-day with some of uh, what they have to deal with, which is kind of nice not to have to, to be a part of that. I get to kind of come in high level and, and help direct the brand accordingly. Yeah, absolutely. And then you do some creative work as well. Yeah, a little bit. So my, my wife um, picked up photography when we were in college. We were married all through college. Um, she's kind of taught me a little bit that I know. And so we we definitely do some freelance photography. Um, I started playing around some video stuff, nothing too crazy. But, um, yeah, it's it's a lot of fun, and it kind of works in well on the consulting side. So um, I, I'm kind of in a weird position where I get paid to just use certain products now and, and a lot of times that involves uh, um, certain deliverable assets from photography to short videos or whatever it may be and so we we work in that capacity as well and that's I mean I don't know I personally need a creative outlet and it's, it's a ton of fun being able to to do that side of things as well I mean I just genuinely enjoy photography but I would never tell anybody I'm like a professional photographer or whatever I I, uh, I can mash the shutter button and get some decent <laughs> photos here and there. And a lot of times those are, um, you know, needed from the brands that I, that I work with, which is nice. So, yeah, no, it's awesome. I, yeah. Love, I mean, I take for, do photography a little bit just for like, um, I picked up the camera a year ago. Cause I just kind of want to, you know, remember all these hunts and totally. Yeah. Get these experiences and it's all, all about those memories and the stories. Yep. And I mean, for the guys that do it, it's a big thing on just like kind of telling the story about what you're hunting or how you're hunting or whatever it is. And it's just always cool to see on how they kind of do that work. Sure. No, absolutely. I mean, I, for me, like, I just kind of viewed it as like taking photos and then having a place to put them. Like even way back when and when Instagram first started, um, and Facebook too, like it was like just kind of a living blog. Yeah. Um, with no intention other than just to share with friends and family and have a place to keep it all. And it's interesting how that's evolved over time. <laughs> um, but, but yeah, like it's, I don't know. There's certain, there's certain things for me that I definitely want to protect and not make it feel like too much of just work. And yeah. a lot of times the photography stuff is just that, like, um, I 
just generally enjoy do i go every i take a camera pretty much everywhere with me just in case i'm like oh that's cool i want to take a picture of it and yeah um I'm, there's a lot of stuff that i've never shown to anybody it's just it's for me my stuff um yeah. and it's, it's a good creative outlet so but it's it's also a cool um way to go out like and in add a different aspect to the hunt too on the hunting side because it's like okay well i know i can set this bread like this and i'm gonna call these birds and i've been watching the last few days and they're probably gonna do it and we're gonna shoot them in the face and you know, that's probably gonna happen but um you add a new element a new um kind of uh what's the right word i'm looking for um uh challenge for yourself yeah. to, to then throw in the photography side of it then you got to make a decision am i picking up the gun or am i picking up the camera yeah and you know trying to tell that story and um you know put together the photos that that kind of i couldn't hear what you oh, said sorry my uh my watch is talking to me <laughs> but putting together those photos that that kind of really um communicate to to whomever you're showing them to this is this is what it's like this is this is what we did this is how cool it was yeah um and that's fun oh absolutely yeah that's that's something just to you know have go look back at and just share with your buddies yeah no absolutely i mean at the end of the day like i've got a i've got an obnoxious amount of taxidermy work and an obnoxious <laughs> amount of photos and well, i was like well what are you doing with all this i was like you know like this is who I am, and yeah. you know, I know how much how much I like. I've got a, I've got a lever action um, uh, rifle that my great great grandfather bought on a cowboy for three dollars on our oh, old wow. plantation in Texas. And one of the biggest deer any of us have ever taken off of that farm, he shot with that gun in the late eighteen hundreds. And I've still got the deer, and the gun. Wow. And so it's it's that means more to me than any other stupid dead animal in my collection. Um, and I hope that one day, I don't know, maybe my grandkids or great-grandkids will be like, hey, that freaking crazy great-great-grandpa we had did this. And this is the story behind it. How cool is that? I mean, um, hopefully hunting is still around and revered by some. And so I'm hoping that some of this crap and that I keep for memories it has that impact generationally. Yeah. Oh, absolutely. And yeah, but like, all these photos that we take, like, I don't think it's good enough just to have them in the digital format. Like, I, I, we have prints too. It's like, yeah, this is history and legacy that hopefully our kids will pass down. Yeah, yeah, and like you're saying with social media, like, it's a great place to go post everything, um, and kind of keep it there, have it for yourself. Then at the same time, go make some prints and right. keep them for yourself. Exactly. Like, exactly. And there's pros and cons to social media and showing different things and whatnot, but it's, I mean, it's a really, it's a really cool thing to have. It's a great tool Definitely. to meet people. It's a great tool to, you know, show what you're doing and express these stories and all that kind of stuff. But then yeah. there's also that side of it where, you know, everyone beats up on each other. Exactly. Well, Again, that's just one of those things that hopefully turns into more of a positive than yeah. than a negative over time. <laughs> oh, exactly. Yeah. Healthy competition's good as long as you're not a jerk about it, you know. Mm -hmm. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I heard that. But yeah, no, it's it's good. But yeah, y'all are uh, you guys are starting to get into the turkey season. Yeah. So we uh, our 
our turkey season starts off April 10th. Um, and so we've kind of had seasonably warmer weather than we normally would have. And so yeah. um, I've actually started scouting a little bit earlier than I normally would have just because I'm like, man, like, what are the birds doing now that it's already this warm up here? And so, mm-hmm. um, but yeah, we, uh, we start usually that second weekend of April and go to about the third weekend of May. Um, I usually kind of travel around a lot, but like, with my wife and, and kids being able to hunt now um, and hunt with buddies, I tend to stay in Montana a little bit more. Um, but uh, I don't know. I, I, I love the calling aspect um, of, of turkey, turkey hunting. Uh, I mean, same reason I love to hunt waterfowl and, and elk too. I mean, that communication with the animal and trying to get them to do something that maybe they normally wouldn't yeah. is a ton of fun. And so uh, turkey hunting in Montana is a bit easier than turkeys out of the south um which is also a lot of fun it makes you feel like a superhero until you leave the state and then you go back to reality where turkey hunting is actually hard you get flat handed to you um but uh, we have a lot of fun doing it so yeah we're definitely looking forward to it that's awesome what kind of turkeys are you guys shooting up there we got Marion turkey up there that's sweet yeah so old frosty tips um i feel like of the well there's six subspecies of turkeys but of the four here in the u.s um they're probably the largest body, but it's it's because of the nutrients that they or the lack of nutrients. Um, a lot of these birds that we're hunting up in the hills, I call them mountain birds. They're not actually up in the mountains, but they're they they don't have the same diet. Um, they don't have the same uh, minerals that that some of these birds you know down the south have. So their spurs are a little bit a little bit shorter, bigger body birds, but a little bit shorter spurs. Their beard length typically isn't you know as as long as some of these others. Um, you're you're very, on very rare occasion, going to find birds where we hunt, anyways, that have, you know, over three quarter inch spurs or over, you know, a, a beard longer than nine or ten inches would be huge. Yeah. Um, it's like eight nine inch beards, you know, half inch three quarter inch type spurs, nothing huge, but on a fun turkey nuggets all taste the same, yeah. in in my opinion. So it's whatever. <laughs> <laughs> oh, exactly. Yeah, yeah. That's that'll be a They're good cool time. birds. Oh, yeah. so much fun to hunt. I mean, I uh, I didn't really start turkey hunting until later. Um, yeah, but that does me too. Like, I mean, I I didn't shoot my first turkey till last year. Like, I awesome. Just, I just kept getting beat up by those birds, and then I finally figured out <laughs> on how to kill them. And Dude, we, it's a fun game. <laughs> yeah. Oh, exactly. And, I mean, it's it's the same as waterfowl. I mean, waterfowl in here, you figure out. Sometimes less is more is calling. You figure out uh, what to say and when to say it based mm-hmm. on the bird's behavior and whatnot. And, yeah. And um, there's more than one way to kill them. Sometimes it's not calling. Sometimes you gotta you gotta switch it up. Um, but I love to run and gun birds. You just learn as you go. Oh yeah, running gun. I I love doing that too. We did that. Uh, there's a nice area down in southeast Minnesota that we go hunt. Um, and I mean, just big rolling hills and like just running, running up those hills, finding them birds, and going to harvest them are just so cool. Like, it's just <laughs> one, of yeah. my, one of my favorite things. We got my buddy's first turkey as well. That same day that I shot mine, just running around, kind of figuring out where they were. He actually, uh, it was like midday, and he went up just to go walk around. Then he went and took a nap on top of the hill. And all of a sudden, he woke up, and there was, like, two hens walking right next to him. And he's like, huh, 
That doesn't sound like a bad deal. And we heard one up there earlier that morning yeah. when I shot mine. I'm like, dude, let's just go run and gun, see if we can uh, call that one in. And long and behold, came up on top of the hill and he laid the hammer down. That's awesome. <laughs> There's nothing like it, man. It's, it's when you finally get in that zone to where they want to play yeah. and they get all riled up and come in and do it right. Um, and you got them at, you know, 10, 20 steps. That's, uh, that's a blast. Yeah. Nothing wrong with it. <laughs> I just, yeah. I love watching him just come in strutting hard. And mm-hmm. with that one that he shot, I mean, it came over the hill. We saw him strut and strut probably all the way in from 100 yards, but then was like literally probably 20 feet on the right side of me. And we were yeah. just sitting right in the tree line of this field. And like he was strutting there for probably a good 30, 40 minutes and was just sitting there. <laughs> wouldn't go right next to the decoy and he couldn't shoot over me and we're just waiting for that to happen and finally all of a sudden just was able to get it done but it was that's so awesome, cool <laughs> like, oh, that's awesome right, so you're gonna get out this year and go again yeah we got uh yeah, get a yeah. good good group of guys going i think we got six guys total um and we can fun. we can i have permission to basically hunt like this entire entire in valley like we can hunt like 3500 acres and so we're just going to be running gun. We got two guys coming from one guy coming from Texas, one guy coming from Mississippi, um, and then four other guys or the three other guys that are going to be from Minnesota. Um, and they're kind of doing like my buddy who I had on, um, they're doing like a little turkey tour kind of thing. So I'm like, yeah, if you guys want to come up and hunt in Minnesota, like you're more than welcome. And, uh, my money's on the Mississippi guy because <laughs> the hardest turkey hunting I've ever experienced in my life was in Mississippi, and the guys that can get it done there are on a different level. Yeah. <laughs> they're so frustrating. Oh, yeah. And uh, we got, I mean, they're filmer, They're going to be filming everything, and it'll be, like, really cool to kind of see how they want to do things. Um, and, like, I'll show them kind of where they've been. I got to go scout, like, next week on the property, see where they're all roosting or whatever, and, Kind of tying yeah. them down, but I think yeah, I think. Uh, do you know Jake Roche? Yeah, I do. Yeah, yeah. So Dude, Jake's going to Africa with me in June. No kidding. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah. So my buddy, who's coming from Texas, is uh, good buddies with him. That's too funny. Small world, man. Yeah, no. Jake's going to Africa with me um, in June, and I helped him book a bunch of hunts this year. That's awesome. That's too funny. Yeah, yeah, but yeah. It'll be a, it'll be fun. They're, they're a bunch of good guys, and we'll go yeah. chase them around for like a week. We got like, it's really cool because, uh, where we're hunting back, like I don't know, two years ago, we were down fly fishing, and I like went to go ask permission to go fly fish like this guy's creek. He's like, yeah, go right ahead, and then I went to go back and say thank you, and. We started talking about like turkey hunting, whitetail hunting, all that kind of stuff. And he's like, Yeah, like I got a bunch of land. I got like, I don't know, 800 acres that you guys could like go out and hunt if you wanted to. And nice. so, like, we drove around for like an hour with him, not knowing him and just like going to see all of his land that we can hunt. And uh, now, like, he's got like this old schoolhouse that he went to school in as like an elementary kid. And it was like, it's just one room in this old schoolhouse. And now 
off, he built it into like a hunting shack, and he's like, hey, when you guys come down, you're more than welcome to stay in it. And I'm like, oh, that's like literally the best scenario you could ask for. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> awesome. And so it's really cool. Like, there's like right behind it, too, in this like patch of trees, there's like an old cemetery from like the 1800s. And so there's yeah. like gravestones from like, and it's like some of his like grandparents and stuff like that. So it's really wow. cool to kind of. That's crazy. That's really cool. Yeah. See all that and then um, go hunt down there and. He does the landowner doesn't hunt anymore, um, but yeah. it's been really cool to you know go down there and fly fish and turkey hunt, shed hunt a little bit. And, Heck yeah, yeah, really no complaints uh, about that that's, trip. That's awesome. It's it's awesome to find. I call those the easy ones, like the place where it's like it was easy to get permission, just kind of go and do your thing, and and the landowners. It's hard to find stuff like that these days. So yeah, you gotta appreciate them that much more when you get them. Yeah. And the big thing with him was, like, when we were down there, he's like, yeah, my neighbors charge, like, five grand to go hunt. Like, it's turning into such, like, a rich man sport. And he's like, I'd love for you guys, like, younger guys to come out and be able to hunt my land and not have to pay anything. And, like, be able to do all that kind of stuff. So that was that was sweet to be able to you know meet yeah, up with him no, that's that's awesome it seriously it's it's i get it but it, it's it sucks to see uh you know like i've even got family members that i mean it, it's hard to get permission to go down to texas and hunt on old family land yeah um that i grew up hunting on um people have just kind of gotten weird about things and um it always kind of surprises you who I've got a similar scenario. There's a couple of different guys in Montana that same deal. They're like, no, no, we don't, I don't want to charge money. Just looking for somebody I can trust to, yeah. to would like to come and hunt. And it's like, I don't hunt anymore. And you guys go for it. I like that you're taking your kids out sort of a deal. So, yeah. um, yeah, definitely got to appreciate those wins. Oh, exactly. Yeah. I mean, there's, there's a point to it. I mean, there's a lot of guys that are able to start leasing land and all that kind of stuff. And it's, yeah. It can get spendy on if you don't have the money. When you're a younger Definitely. kid, like you don't have the money to go hunt on their land, like yeah. you gotta figure yeah. it out. For sure. For sure. And it's great to have guys like that. I mean, that are willing to kinda help the youth out and or like there's another group that's allowed to stay in the shack, but it's just only us and them and then that's all it yeah. is. Right. And I mean, he trusts well, I hope us. You guys get them, man. <laughs> yeah, it should be fun. We shot uh, two of our four last year. Should have been cool. three of our four, but the uh, Tom's we got out late. My buddy's like, I shot mine, and I'm like, yeah, man. Like, he was going with my other buddy, and um, they just I don't know how good the calling or whatever it was. They're not big turkey hunters very much. Yeah, and I'm like, yeah, like if you want me to go, like. You got to wake me up on time and everything, and I'll, like, run up there with you, no problem. He woke up, like, I don't know, 30 minutes late, and we were rocking up there, <laughs> spooking hens out of the field. And I'm like, yeah. I'm like, dude. Game over. <laughs> yeah. And then we pull- <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Oh, yeah. And then uh, Tom watched us walk in there, and he said, no, thank you. And I'm like, yeah. yeah. If we would have been there earlier, partner, we we probably would have got him. <laughs> Yeah, no, that's uh, that's definitely not one you can sneak in and be late on. They're either 
it's, it's too good. <laughs> yeah, oh yeah. And almost got sprayed by a skunk up there walking in too. Came running at us. I'm like, Jesus Christ. <laughs> <laughs> good times, man. I love it. Oh yeah, absolutely. And uh, you got any big trips planned for the spring for hunting? Um, outside of the turkey hunts, we'll probably do some black bear hunting um, in Montana. Um, cool. If Alberta, well, if Canada borders open up um, this spring, I've got some hunters that have been patiently waiting to get up there to go hunt black bear. So I may end up there for a little bit. Um, and then after that, no, not really. That'll be most of my spring. And then in the summer, uh, I've got Africa in June and then oh, wow. Russia in August. And then... Jeez. And then they back here to the U.S. and we'll, we'll kick the season off in Alaska for moose and then Montana elk and then on to the bird stuff, whitetail stuff for October through January. Oh, yeah. That's that's how the year's shaping up. And a lot of that's like this kind of a mix of hunting with clients and hosting clients on trips. And um, some of that is just working on some some uh, creative projects for different brands that I work with. And um just fortunate to call that work i guess <laughs> so looking, i'm looking forward to all of it that's for dang sure oh absolutely are you gonna be uh what are you gonna be hunting over in russia um i'll be over in kamchatka hunting uh snow sheep so wow with some of my clients and uh we'll we'll see what we can do that that's gonna be an interesting story um i think by the time we get back hopefully we make it back <laughs> yeah so we'll we'll see that's sweet, yeah. yeah. That's and they've got some pretty big brown bears over there too, so we'll see if that happens. But sheep is the priority. Um, I had a little bit of a boondoggle of a hunt in Alaska for tall sheep last year, so um, maybe I can get it done on this trip. I've been on a lot of sheep hunts. I've just never actually been able to take one for myself. So it was supposed to be last year. Maybe this one will come through and maybe we can have some success. Yeah. What's it like hunting those sheep up in the mountains? That just seems like the coolest thing ever. It's amazing. Um, it's definitely some the mountain hunts are obviously some of the more physical, demanding ones that I've done for yeah. sure. Um, but I mean, most of these places are so incredibly remote. Like, uh, you don't have cell phone service. Like, it's it's just an awesome, you know, ten to fourteen day thing where you're really getting to unplug from everything and, and just being kind of forced to enjoy nature and, and what's going on around you. Um, but it's, it's an amazing experience. If you ever have the means to go on a sheep hunt, at least go try it once. Um, or if you have the opportunity to go tag along with somebody, just as an observer, it's, it's worth taking the time to do, um, yeah. you know, living out of your pack for 10 to 14 days isn't for everybody, but, um, <laughs> at the same time, it's, it's an amazing experience. It kind of just shows you what you can do. And, you know, if you ever needed to go and freaking, you know, live like that for whatever reason, it gives you the confidence to go and do it. So it's, yeah. it's a lot of fun. Oh, absolutely. And then you talked about Alberta a little bit. Do you think the Canada border is going to open? You know, so what I'm hearing um, from some of my contacts in different provinces up there is that, and obviously, like, disclaimer here, like, this is not the gospel, okay? Like, this yeah. is just rumor mill, okay? So, yeah. rumor mill is that they probably won't open it up until after their tourist season, which is summer. And so, after summer, the hope is that they might open the borders back up this fall. And I think the thought process there is my, my assumption is that by then, 
a lot of the vaccinations will have hopefully um, been fulfilled and people that and as far as Canada is concerned, they're hoping that people have gotten vaccinated and that if it's after their busy time of the year for travel and tourism, it would be better to do it in the fall and get people to kind of slowly come up and and go about it in that way, which makes a lot of sense. Yeah. So hopefully this fall we might get to venture up to Canada and shoot some birds. Um, time will tell. Yeah. Who knows? It's It's been really what's strange to me is I just don't feel like it's being talked about a ton. It's just kind of it's all, you know, hearsay. Like, oh, I know a guy that does this for the government, or that's in this guide association, and I, I heard that they might do this, and it's just strange. There's nothing really definitive, um, yeah, out there that's giving us a little bit better idea of what to maybe expect or not expect. Yeah, yeah, because I mean, I've heard things about guys up in Canada where they're like. I heard that Canada is very scared of the virus. I've heard that. I yeah. don't know how it yep. is, but they're very, very nervous about, oh, you guys are, like, going out in public, like, whatever it is. Um, yeah. I don't know how true that is, whatnot. It's just kind of the things I've heard along the way. Um, sure. No, I think, it, I think it depends on, you know, where they're at. But, yeah, they definitely seem to not be as uh, brazen with, maybe how the u.s is handling it <laughs> yeah yeah right or wrong whatever like they've been on the more cautious side yeah no i hear you and how has the covid deal been with like your work has that affected it all on like what you're you able know, to do and um as far as i mean obviously with like business consulting and whatnot no not really anything on the product side um i think there's a higher participation in anything outdoors right now yeah and so because you can social distance and be outside and you know have the options to go and do other things and so from the product side people are purchasing more products that are outdoor related because their um activity level within outdoor uh pursuits has increased yeah on the hunt side and, and like selling hunts we're just having a lot more people book um north america based hunts and and so I've got clients calling me saying, hey, you know, we were going to go do, you know, this hunt in New Zealand or in Africa or in Asia or wherever. Um, those are postponed. So can we go and do a different hunt here in the U.S.? And so I've been trying to line those types of things up. So I don't I wouldn't say we've had less bookings. It's just less international stuff. And then as far as my travel goes, yeah, I mean, like especially on the international front, it's there's only a handful of countries you can even get in and out of right now. So. Um, everyone's pretty much been grounded, and, which is kind of good in some ways. I mean, there's plenty of great hunts to do here in, in the U.S. Um, I just got the travel bug is all. I just enjoy seeing different cultures and experiencing things outside the box. But um, it's been fun just to hunt as much here in the in the U.S. It's It's been a while since I've hunted as much here. So, yeah, um, oh, absolutely. I wouldn't say it's negatively impacted you know the outdoor industry but it's definitely impacted the, the guide and outfitter industry um outside of the u.s majorly because they rely on on u.s and european hunters to come to their countries yeah and more specifically u.s hunters yeah and that's like the big thing with canada too i mean you have all these yeah. outfitters that are bringing all this business into small town gas stations small town yeah. diners like whatever exactly. it is and that's a huge deal that I mean, I yeah. bet put a good beating down on those small towns in Canada. 
Absolutely. And I feel for those guys. Some some have been able to kind of persevere and, and luckily yeah. had others just set up to where they can kind of let that business sit on the side. But there's there's other places, even outside of Canada, where they, they haven't been as lucky. And, um, yeah, they they uh, they got hit hard. Yeah. Oh, yeah. And the thing is, like, in the U.S., the guys that I've talked to, I mean, they'll have clients cancel, I mean, if they feel sick or whatnot. But mm-hmm. for, like, the most part, everybody wants to get outside. Or, yeah. like, the people that, you know are kind of getting reintroduced into hunting because they've been so caught up with work and haven't been able to do it. And now they're able to work from home and maybe go out and start doing a little bit more hunting with their kids or like taking trips that they weren't able to because they had to go to work. Um, Right. And that's opened a lot of things I think and what I've heard. Yeah. Yeah. No, for sure. Um, It's been, you know, pros and cons to the whole thing oh, and uh as far as outdoor stuff it's probably benefited more than anything yeah yeah and that's like i mean i think it's a great deal on like you're able to work from home and yeah. now you're able to go actually go hunt and yeah be able to do that kind of stuff i think it's a great deal start taking totally. your kids out and doing all that kind of fun stuff um that you weren't able to do because you had a job that required you to be there every day yeah no for sure um i think uh i think the way work is done um will probably change a good bit even after you know the whole covid thing settles down and whatever a new normal looks like it'll be interesting to see um how many people are still going to the office for certain types of jobs depending on what their you know scope of work is yeah yeah no it'll be interesting i mean see how much it's open digital working um yeah like just blew it up and yeah that's crazy if they're able to you know just keep doing that or if they require them to go back to work or whatever it is i mean it'll be kind of cool to see that yeah. and how it plays I mean, for, out i know people for yeah a year now march or a year now they've just worked from home on, on zoom haven't been back to the office since like yeah. and and a lot of them now are like saying there's really no point. Like, why would we need to? Yeah. So oh, it's kind yeah. of crazy. Yeah, exactly. Talking about keeping overhead down. Like, that's the first thing I'd be looking at if I was, you know, in a in the position where it's like, wait a minute, like we're just as productive, if not more productive. We're not in the office. Let's start figuring out what kind of overhead we can cut. <laughs> yeah. Oh, exactly. And then maybe not having to have a office space and saving money on that or whatever it is. Sure. Um, and I was, so I was my first meeting today. Um, I went into their office and um, they, I don't know. I didn't like scope it out super hard, but it's a fairly good size office and it's, it's pretty open. And so you can see who's there and who's not there. Yeah. And out of, I don't know, 15 desks, there was three people there. Yeah. That was it on a Tuesday morning in this entire office. There's three <laughs> people there. And clearly, at one point, the whole thing was full. And but now people are just working remote. I asked them, I was like, "Where's everybody at?" They're like, "Yeah, they're working remote now." Yeah. Like we're they're like we're just here because you're here today. I was like, "Oh, gotcha." <laughs> Make you feel special. <laughs> okay. Well, and in, in, in the place that I'm I'm about to go into right now, it's the same thing. I was like, "So where do we want to meet?" And he's like, "Um, it's an empty office that no one's using uh, that we can access." I was like, "Okay, cool." Like the only reason they're even going to the office today is again because I. I'm here from out of town to, to visit with them, so it's kind of yeah. 
crazy new world of work that people are in. Oh, absolutely. And it's interesting on like the school side of things too. I mean, yeah. like with mine, it's been a blessing because I'm able to do all my online work and then also go travel a bunch, which if I wasn't able to, like I would have never been able to, you know, go down to Texas or go to South Dakota. Sure. Went to Where was Dakota. that when I was in college? Good grief. <laughs> Man, I would have worn that out. <laughs> oh, yeah. Like, I you guys don't even know. You better be living it up right now. Oh. Oh. I was trying to plan all my classes around morning hunts. And so, yeah. Uh, the fact that you guys get to do it all online. Holy crap. Like, oh. Where was that when I was in school? Dude, it's, it's legit. I mean, I, I was in South Dakota for five days, came back home for because i gotta do some stuff and then i'm back out to south dakota for another five <laughs> that's awesome so it's it's living i'm gonna tell you that ain't ain't no complaints right there hey good on you yeah oh i heard that um but yeah no it's it's been fun and then yeah just get a cool get to do all that kind of stuff but kind of gotta <laughs> wrap things up here because i gotta jump on another call here um no worries but, all, all good i i gotta jump too Perfect. I appreciate you hopping on. It's been an honor. Yeah, no, it's Thank been you. a lot like, of fun, man. We covered it. Like, we covered the map on <laughs> everything. <laughs> no, was, that was a lot of fun, man. Um, you know, hopefully, uh, you know, you, you have a ton of success in whatever you do. And, and, yeah, I appreciate you having me on. I had a blast. Thank you. Hey, if you ever want to come hunt in Minnesota, I'm always here. I may take you up on that. And, and likewise, come over and to Montana. Like, I'm usually around. Yeah. So. <laughs> come, come shoot something with me we'll, we'll, we'll find something to go get oh absolutely i uh i usually take a trip down to ennis and fly fish um oh heck yeah there every year so right on let me know yeah. come to town get calling absolutely brother i appreciate it and thank you once again all right thank you appreciate all it right, see you right all right take care bye and that wraps things up today for living the guide life with ryan bass ham on truly a treat to get to talk to him great guy he has a bunch of knowledge in the industry has done a bunch of hunting really everywhere and uh he just knows how it goes down and kind of how we need to stand together as hunters for the things that are posted on social media i mean you just got to be really really cautious on that kind of stuff because it can blow up and it can turn into a big deal with a lot of people that have a lot of followers i mean i know a lot of different posts that have blown up and you don't have to be a big account to have them realize it so keep that in mind when you guys are posting and i hope you guys enjoyed <laughs>